Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks for, uh, for joining us for the uh, uh, leverage panel. Uh, you can see the, the slides are a little out of focus, so they're, they're trying to fix it, but we can get going uh, anyway and, and see if it uh, gets better. Otherwise, we'll, we'll kind of do the, uh, the best we can. Um, so the, we'll, we'll cover the, uh, the, the leverage that calls and funds use, uh, the leverage profile, and some of the trends that we've been following. Uh, my name is uh, Greg Fave Levich. I uh, head up the US funds team at Fitch Ratings. Uh, our group uh, assigns ratings to uh, debt and preferred shares issued by the closing funds. Um, and we, we also do uh, research on uh, trends in the, in the industry. Uh, before we uh, actually we get into the, uh, the slides, I'd like to mention uh, this, the, a copy of the slides is available on our uh, desk outside. Uh, if we ran out, just feel free to, uh, to leave your card. Uh, we're happy to send you a copy of the slides. And also, if you're interested in uh, joining our uh, distribution list for some of the other research that we put out, same thing. Just leave the, the card over there, or you can talk to me. Happy to add you to, uh, to the list. Uh, with me, uh, we have a distinguished panel. Uh, we have representatives from the, uh, the fund side, the bank uh, side, and the investor side as it relates to uh, closing fund leverage. Uh, so to my uh, left, I'll introduce him, uh, Curtis Halloway from uh, Calamus. Uh, 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 so uh, he uh, he's the C uh, CFO and treasurer for uh, for the funds, uh, in charge of managing the, the leverage. Uh, Brian Knudsen uh, he works with me at uh, Fitch on closing funds. Uh, Andrew Hansen uh, from Morgan Stanley uh, who does prior placements uh, for uh, preferred shares uh, with uh, with primarily insurance investors, and Steve Nelly uh, who's with uh, Wells Fargo working on the credit side. Uh, and well, in the capacity of uh, Wells as a buyer of uh, preferred shares uh, on the municipal closing fund side. So that, uh, let's see if this works. Would you mind just uh, taking the uh, little focus thing, uh, focus box off? Okay, thank you. Okay, so uh, what we're seeing here is the uh, leverage ratios for uh, closing funds. Uh, on, the, on the left side, you have taxable closing funds. On the right side, you have uh, municipal closing funds. Uh, the information is from financial statements that we, uh, we at Fitch collect for, uh, for closing funds. And you can see for municipals, they tend to cluster around the, the high 30s, low 40s percent, and for taxable, uh, closing funds, they cluster, they're, they're more varied probably, but uh, they still cluster around 30%. Um, and I'll turn it to Brian. Brian, if you don't mind, maybe covering some of the drivers of where fund, funds manage the uh, leverage ratios and how they look at them. Uh, yeah, so the base limitation, limitations for closing funds come from the 1940 Act, which restricts debt usage to 33% leverage and preferred shares to 50% leverage. <clears throat> Additionally, uh, lenders will put on more conservative limits on top of this. So for instance, uh, one example of this is the 45% effective leverage ratio test that we see in municipal per preferred shares. Taking a look, as Greg mentioned on the chart, you see that the taxable closed end funds tend to cluster in around 30%. Uh, the majority of these are just using debt facilities to fund their leverage. Any funds above that 30 33% limit uh, are either using preferred shares or non-traditional leverage uh, to get above that 1940 Act limit. 
taking a look over at the municipal side, uh, those do tend to cluster in the higher 30s. Uh, these municipal funds tend to use preferred shares for their term leverage and tender option bonds for their flexible leverage. Thanks, Brian. And uh, Steve, so you, uh, you cover the funds from uh, the credit side, uh, particularly on the muni, um, muni closing funds. Uh, can you talk about some of the parameters you look at uh, as it relates to, to leverage ratios? So I am reasonably new to the space, although I've been in the industry, uh, financial industry, for 30, over 30 years, I hate to say. Um, I'm a classically muni-trained muni analyst in Wells. We found our way into the closed-end fund space almost by accident. As the auction rate preferred market collapsed, uh, we have both muni clients and investor clients, and our investor clients came to us, uh, you know, some of the, many of you in the audience, funds came to us asking, was there something we could do? As you're probably well aware, the auction rate preferred, uh, it was a perpetual preferred. Uh, as a bank, we weren't going to do a, a perpetual replacement. So the, the leverage tends to be much shorter. Uh, we've gone out as far as five years, but most of the times it's three years. So we're providing the leverage on the fund. We're the preferred investor. Um, and as you know, we're even seeing the, the uh, leverage start to even come in under three years, or under three years. But we're really looking at um, at 45% is the is the covenant that we set that uh, that the leverage can't exceed. And typically, the uh, the VMTP or municipal term preferred security, as it's called, will be something maybe in the 30 to 35% range. And most funds will use. Tender option bonds, which if you don't know what tender option bonds are, they're repo for tax-exempt assets. Uh, repo doesn't work on a tax-exempt because of, you know, the, the tax exemption gets lost in the mix. And that will usually be the swing leverage. So maybe 5 to 10% of uh, tax-exempt funds leverage will be in that tender option bond or repo-type leverage. And then you'll have the core leverage, which is maybe in the 30 to 40% range. Thank you. And uh, let me turn it to, uh, to Curtis. So Curtis, in your role, uh, you help manage the funds, uh, the Camus funds uh, leverage. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how you do that at target uh, leverage ratios? Certainly. So with, uh, with the coverage uh, that we are um, limited to uh, from the 40 Act, uh, Section 18, uh, as Brian had mentioned, uh, dictates uh, what our coverage can be, uh, whether it's uh, margin loans uh, at the 33% level uh, or 300 uh, percent, or uh, the equity, the preferred that we also have, uh, which is uh, governed at the 200 percent level. Uh, so we're looking at uh, our coverage levels uh, on a daily basis, uh, and uh, with that, uh, we also have covenants uh, for our preferred, where it's a little bit similar to the the 44 percent. Um, so it's like 225 percent coverage. So we're uh, monitoring that on a daily basis. Uh, we are, in, you know, we usually have meetings with the, the PMs on a periodic basis to, to see where their um, where their view of the market is, uh, whether there's uh, volatility in the market. Uh, we share out some of our sensitivity analysis. Uh, let's say if there's a 10% uh, to a 20% correction in the market, where, where does that put our levels? Uh, so we'll, we'll see where we need to, whether we need to dial back uh, th via our margin loans or whether we. Uh, uh, feel that uh, if we we're bullish, we'll uh, you know add in a little bit more leverage. Thank you. Yeah, we'll move forward. So, 
this is just a snapshot of uh, the uh, debt preferred shares that Fitch rates uh, in closing fund sector. Uh, we have about $30 billion of uh, rated uh, leverage across 220 funds. Um, you can see a lot of, a big portion of it is in the municipal closing fund sector, uh, as uh, Steve alluded to, uh, it has to do with the taxability and, and, and the ability to pass tax exempt uh, income to preferred. Um, but there's, there's also obviously a good portion in the taxable side, uh, taxable funds uh, that the use leverage that we rate include uh, high yield, loan funds, MLP. Uh, MLP funds used to be one of the biggest issuers of, uh, of debt and preferred shares. Uh, with some utilities and real estate funds. And uh, you can see that a lot of it is very highly rated uh, on the municipal side, generally in the AAA category. Uh, on the taxable side, uh, can also be AAA, but off more often in the AA category, primarily because of uh, uh, credit facilities that are more senior uh, to, the, uh, to the rated preferred shares. Um, and the reason, really, that a lot of this is rated so high, uh, highly is because of uh, the structural uh, features that they're built in, the deleveraging mechanisms, uh, and you've seen this, or we've seen this, uh, these structural features actually work in a number of case studies. We've been rating closing fund uh, leverage you know, prior to the financial crisis. We've seen uh, the funds go through the crisis, and uh, for example, as well as um, the, uh, the more recent energy market decline in 2015, 2016, and the funds performed, or the leverage performed as expected generally. Uh, if they hit certain of their triggers, you know, they will have to delever, uh, as was alluded to already. You know, uh, often the fund managers will, uh, will take down some of the more flexible uh, leverage forms, like credit facilities or, or uh, TOBs, uh, and then move down the line, you know, maybe to uh, notes or preferreds. Um, so uh, seeing so, uh, some of these mechanisms work through uh, real life examples has, has been very helpful in validating uh, the, the high credit quality of the sector. Um, uh, one more thing I, I wanted to mention. So uh, this has given Fitch a lot of comfort and our methodology around rating closing funds has been very stable over the last uh, few years. Okay, so moving on to uh, some of the trends, uh, hopefully you can you can see what's going on here. Um, so th this is uh, this shows uh, taxable closing fund leverage over time. Uh, we have data series that starts around just before the financial crisis. Uh, you can see more auction rate securities at that time uh, switch into uh, more bank financing and a good portion of preferred shares uh, as well. So again, I'll turn it to uh, to Brian to to talk about some of the trends. Um, maybe just to explain first, the, the data is in six months uh, period just because of the way uh, closing funds report their financials. And so we've seen over the last couple of periods, uh, uh, notional uh, leverage start increasing again. So Brian, can you talk about uh, what's driving some of that? Uh, yeah. So Greg, as you noted, uh, total leverage is up slightly from last year's conference by about 3%. And when taking a look by sector at where this increase is coming from, uh, loan funds and preferred funds accounted for about 700 million total of this increase overall. Um, MLPs were the biggest um, uh, sector that reduced leverage, and they reduced it by about 100 million. When taking a look by leverage type, we did see about a 1.1 billion increase on bank facilities and, and bank borrowings, <clears throat> which, as mentioned before, the, the most flexible and the most you know, the quickest to employ. 
Uh, we also did see an increase in both public and private preferreds. Uh, Andrew will touch on some of the public preferreds on the next slide. Uh, in terms of decreases, we continue, continue to see decreases in asset-backed commercial paper borrowings and then preferred shares placed with ABCP uh, conduits. These facilities have been kind of reducing their lending to closed end funds over the past couple years and only about three funds still have these remaining and we expect them to, to roll off over the next few years. Uh, just <clears throat> one more note on auction rate redemptions. Uh, they do continue at a slow pace and only about 55 million were redeemed since uh, the conference last year. Okay. So moving on to, uh, to issuance. Uh, so this is issuance in the taxable sector uh, and uh, you can see uh, uh, the MERPs are basically mandatory redeemable, so just term preferred. And Andrew, would you mind walking us through uh, some of the trends we've seen in, in issuance? Sure, thanks, and um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, yeah, my focus is on the, um, the new issue market for taxable closed-end funds in, in notes and preferred. So it's, it's um, you know, relative to the size of the bank debt and repo outstanding, it's, it's, it's much smaller, but it's a, a, a growing area that um, uh, continues to have interest from both issuers and investors. Uh, last year, over a billion dollars was issued in, in notes and preferreds by taxable closed-end funds. Which, uh, which is a good year. It's 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 uh, 13 different issuers. Um, it's uh, up about 40 percent from 2016 in terms of the issuance volumes. Um, it is certainly off the peak of um, 2013 and 14, where issuance volumes were higher, in large part driven by the MLP funds. Um, you know, given um, their asset values were were much higher than, than they are today. Um, but still, we're seeing um, the issuance volume driven not only by refinancings of prior, prior deals, prior notes and preferreds that have come to maturity, but, but also new, new funds entering the market. O over half the, the deals last year were, were uh, funds tapping either notes or preferreds uh, for the very first time, which is, which is a great development because the more funds that come in and tap this market, the more the overall market grows. Um, the, um, the issuer funds that have, uh, that have tapped this market uh, last year have included um, MLP funds, which have been mostly refinancing prior deals from three, four, five years ago, infrastructure funds, convertible bond funds, common stock funds, non-US debt funds, uh, media-focused equity funds, commodity-focused equity funds. So it's, it's a pretty broad range of issuer types or within the closed-end fund world, um, not so much a concentration on MLP funds as we had um, a couple of years ago. Um, as Brian and Greg, you know, mentioned, the, the MERPs um, has become a bigger part of the, of the overall issuance market. It's, it made up a cycle high of 68% of total volume last year. It's, MERPs stands for Mandatory Redeemable Preferred sh Shares. Um, which is basically preferreds with a, with a fixed term on it. Um, uh, investor demand is, is very strong for this, for this product due to the higher yields and, and their comfort with the preferred structure, albeit it's junior debt, junior to the debt, but it still has strong structural protections from investors. Um, and issuers have, have shown a, a, a stronger and stronger desire to, uh, to increase their cushions to the 40 Act um, um, which, which preferreds does, um, and also to the extent they do fixed rate deals, you know, you're reducing interest rate 
and renewal risk, um, um, and being able to reduce credit facilities, uh, withstand market volatility, um, and you know, in many cases, increase leverage above what a fund would otherwise be comfortable with on an all debt structure, um, in order to um, um, maximize the distribution rate to um, common stockholders. So, you know, it's kind of a win-win. Um, the the MERPS product, from from my perspective. Um, that's good, yeah. yeah. And, and Curtis, uh, Calmus did uh, one of these transactions last year where you've, you've taken down some of the de debt facilities that you had and added MERPs. Can you uh, discuss that transaction a little? It's sure. So uh, last September, we uh, um, issued $600 million of uh, MERPs, and uh, uh, we, we uh, typically, well, we, um, those three bullet points there are three of the five, I guess, uh, reasons we uh, wanted to do that. So the, uh, the 40 Act cushion, so when you have a uh, coverage ratio of that 300% that you have to maintain, if, uh, if you're at the 33% level, then if the market moves against you, then uh, you're gonna have to delever. So uh, typically we were under that 30% level or the 33% level, we were in the high 20s. Um, uh, so we, we didn't have to delever in a uh, down market. Uh, diversity of uh, source of uh, leverage. Uh, we did have uh, a secondary source of leverage in our funds, um, but they were both margin loans. So one was tied to overnight LIBOR, one was tied to three-month LIBOR. They had different covenants and terms. Uh, so that did offer some diversity, but not as much as the preferred. Uh, the third item there, the re reduced renewal risk. We wanted to uh, lock in some of our uh, our interest rate chart uh, costs, and uh, in order to do that, we could either do the swaps or we could issue uh, equity. Uh, swaps seemed uh, to be just as uh, pricey, um, so we felt that the preferred gives us uh, more leverage uh, as well as uh, opening up uh, some of the 40 Act cushion. Uh, a fourth reason is our outlook on the markets. So we felt that uh, we were in a bull market, uh, and I know John just went through a lot of the components uh, of where we feel that where the market is gonna take us. Uh, we were uh, bullish and thought we could uh, utilize more of that uh, leverage to uh, enhance the portfolio. And then finally, we were looking at, uh, as, as our portfolios uh, uh, pay out a distribution of about uh, nine to 10%, uh, looking just uh, ways to, uh, to meet some of those distributions and uh, uh, th this was one way to, uh, to enhance it. And, and we'll come back in a little bit more detail on the uh, the cost consideration and uh, talking about short-term debt uh, or short-term financing versus longer-term financing uh, in the next slide. Um, for now, let's turn over to, uh, to the municipal side. Uh, more stable there over the last couple of years. Uh, again, we see same same trend uh, going back a couple of years where ARPs have been refinanced, but over the last few years, uh, there have been a number of uh, securities that, uh, types of preferred shares that have been the most popular. And again, Brian, uh, can you describe some of the some of the trends we're seeing? Yeah, so leveraging the municipal sector has been about flat since last year. Uh, we There has been a mix between uh, the type of leverage being utilized, though. Uh, we did see an increase in MFP shares, which are muni fund preferred shares. We'll touch on that a little bit more on the next slide. <clears throat> and also VMTP shares. Uh, the VMTP shares a good chunk of that was issued to refinance 
outstanding auction rate securities, and the MFP shares were issued to refinance uh, IMTP shares that were coming up to their maturity. <clears throat> we did see a reduction in ARPs, as I just mentioned, uh, but the total was about 160 million, and we also saw a reduction in tender option bonds. Uh, as we mentioned before, this TOBS Act is a little bit more of a flexible uh, leverage option, so this may be some managers trying to dial down their, le their leverage a bit uh, in a short time frame. And we've seen uh, quite a bit of innovation uh, in the municipal uh, space. Uh, again, people kind of moving away from the ARPs and coming up with uh, new types of uh, preferred for MTPs, which were more for, for retail investors earlier on, and uh, VMTPs and VRDPs are placed in, in different markets. Um, and the more recently, we've seen the, the MFP shares. You mind talking about those a little bit? Yeah, so the MFP share is a relatively new structure that we saw over the past year and a half. Uh, this, these feature a long legal maturity, but are put into uh, shorter modes. Uh, the mode is what really dictates the, uh, the structural protections, the interest rate mechanism, and the uh, remarketing mechanisms, if applicable. Um, so you'll have a preferred share with a long legal final, but the, the manager has the ability to switch the preferred share into different modes. So it could be <coughs> changing the way the interest is being paid or what rate it's referencing. Uh, and we do expect to see issuance on this continue, just given the, the long legal final, as well as the flexibility for the manager to kind of switch between and adjust the, uh, the leverage terms. Thanks for the help. Uh, turning to uh, issuance on the municipal closing fund leverage side, uh, you, can, you can tell pretty clearly from the chart, 2017 was a very, uh, very slow uh, year, particularly uh, as compared to 2016. And uh, this year, it seems to be coming back. So again, Brian, uh, can you hit some of the highlights there? Uh, yeah, 2016 was a huge year. There was a, a lot of large fund mergers uh, where the funds were required to refinance their outstanding preferred shares, uh, basically like for like. So those numbers um, are a bit inflated and not, aren't all total new money issuance. Uh, last year in 2017 was a much quieter year with a little bit of MFP issuance uh, we've heard in the first transactions there. However, uh, year-to-date 2018 has been a big year. Uh, we've seen issuance in VMTP shares and really the bigger trend is MFP shares. Uh, these have been issued to refinance different preferred shares that, that were outstanding, whether these are IMTP shares that I mentioned before or VMTP shares. Uh, and as I mentioned, we, we do expect this trend to continue. And, and Steve, uh, Wells holds, uh, I think, each one of these VMTPs, VRDPs, and, and the new MFPs. Can you talk a little bit about how you view them uh, differently, if at all? Uh, from a risk perspective, don't view them differently uh, at all. Uh, maybe the more, and I, I've heard it mentioned on several of the panels so far that rising interest rates uh, have driven a number of different trends. And I think that's what's driven this trend as well. And it's not just rising interest rates, because what's risen really has been short-term interest rates, but it's the flattening of the curve. And so when you're running a leveraged fund and uh, you, your, your goal is to borrow at a higher cost, or, or excuse me, to invest at a higher cost than you borrow at, as the yield curve flattens, that becomes much more difficult. So I think the reason we've been asked to look at these shorter uh, maturity leverage uh, assets is to also squeeze down the price, to be quite honest. Because if you go back, again, going back to the history, 
most of this sector was perpetual preferreds. It was perpetual preferreds that had been sold to retail investors, um, sometimes with maybe uh, it was intimated that it might look a lot like a money market fund to those investors. Uh, there were settlements that happened as a result, uh, and then we, we moved into the institutional provider of this, uh, this uh, product. Interesting, and, and I don't know if, if Greg, if you're going to get to this uh, later or not, but one of the interesting things that we may see, um, so one trend has obviously been the yield curve uh, flattening, but another thing specific to the muni space is tax reform has impacted municipals. And it impacted municipals a lot because uh, corporate tax rates were adjusted significantly. Individual tax rates, not as significantly. The uh, close-end fund leverage product has become largely an, an institutional product. But retail investors realistically will value that tax in income higher than an institutional investor. So selfishly, I'd like to say that, uh, you know, that this won't happen, but realistically, I would expect investment bankers on the, on the tax exempt side um, to, to look and see if there are ways to, to re-engage with retail investors who will value that tax, that tax exempt income more at, at a higher level than an institutional will, but probably have to develop ways of delivering that product that, um, that are more realistic about the risks. Thank you. We're on to costs. Um, so uh, there's there's a handful of key uh, leverage uh, forms in municipal closing funds. Like we said, uh, they they can have different uh, cost structures. Some are uh, spread over SIFMA. Some uh, will be remarketed. But often uh, in in practice, they really uh, track SIFMA plus a spread uh, in a lot of cases. Um, so as SIFMA has risen, the borrowing cost for the funds. Uh, have increased, and SIFMA, in fact, has been quite volatile. Uh, part of it is tied to, uh, to money fund reform and the decline in, uh, in the assets and municipal money funds that uh, buy uh, generally SIFMA-tied, uh, uh, SIFMA-related uh, assets. Uh, so so it, we expect that to continue. But um, Steve, would you mind talking a little bit about some of the factors that drive pricing for you at a, at a high level? So for those of you who don't follow the muni market, SIFMA is LIBOR, but tax exempt. And SIFMA historically pre-tax reform was roughly, it's just a mathematical, right? It's one over one minus the tax rate is, is sort of where SIFMA should average over time. And so SIFMA was roughly 70% pre-tax reform. And for retail investors, um, they really wouldn't see a lot of change. But for institutional investors who really drive the SIFMA market, uh, as the tax rate went from, you know, 35% marginal tax rate from 35% to the low 20s, SIFMA would, uh, the SIFMA equivalent is really looking more at like, say, 80% of LIBOR. Um, and we've seen SIFMA resetting anywhere between the low 70s and the high 70s, maybe 80%. Uh, but we're not sure exactly where that will come. But going also to, uh, the, uh, the cost varying, as I mentioned before, uh, we're being asked to look at these shorter uh, term leverage products. So either uh, a term out, so the, the first iteration of taking out 
auction right preferreds was a money market eligible VR, what was called VRDP or a puttable product that was sold uh, out as a floater. Um, we didn't participate in that largely because we didn't want to add the off balance sheet risk. Uh, if you look at what, what got banks in some of the trouble they got onto, it was off balance sheet obligations. As the product morphed into being sort of an on balance sheet asset, which was the VMTP that Greg has mentioned, we became very interested in that, as I mentioned earlier, was sort of a three to five year maturity. Certainly a lot less than perpetual, but a nice long tail uh, for the funds. What we're being asked to look at now is a terming out of those VRDPs, typically about 18 months, or even uh, something that Brian mentioned, which is this long nominal maturity, but with, uh, with puts. And typically the way it works is that we, the bank, give notice that we want to put the asset typically either three to six months, and then the fund has another three to six months to replace us or else we can put, the, put it back. So those are the structures we're seeing um, and, and the price is less because the, the, the risk tail is less. Thank you. Uh, and now we're gonna move to the taxable side. Uh, so you can see there's, uh, there's more variability in the, the forms of the leverage and maturities, uh, but also in, on the cost, particularly on the, uh, the short uh, term side with the bank facilities and the repos. Um, so, Brian, can you explain, you know, why do we see so much variability there? Um, yeah, so some of the main drivers of variability, well, just taking a step back, a lot of the repo and bank facilities are either trade in line or are priced off of short-term rates. Uh, a lot of the variability here that you see, uh, for instance, the, basically the, the, the low points on those two figures are driven by euro-denominated borrowings where interest rates are, are, are still low. <coughs> Uh, but not, additionally, I mean, on, on repo, that's part of that is driven by the collateral type as well as uh, additional specifics to, to the specific repo tra transaction. And, and Curtis, from uh, the practitioner's side as, as a fund manager, can you talk about some of the price, uh, price mechanisms and the different leverage uh, forms you have, you know, particularly the, the credit facilities? Sure. So on the margin loans, uh, we have... Uh, our margin loan is tied to overnight LIBOR. Uh, we did have some uh, margin loans that were tied to three-month LIBOR. Uh, as you may know that, uh, you know, um, five, six years ago, or, you know, the spread was a lot lower between the two, and now it's uh, approximately about 65 bips. Um, so the overnight LIBOR is uh, more of a, uh, it has worked out well for us. Uh, so with, with the LIBOR rate, uh, you do pay a, a spread with that. Uh, also on our margin loans, we have the ability to uh, u utilize uh, security, security lending. And um, with the proceeds from the SEC lend, we would uh, pay down our uh, margin loan, uh, essentially self-finance, but because we have to pay the bank uh, facility uh, to have that money available in case the uh, SEC lending uh, market dries up, uh, we we, t we pay a uh, lower rate, so so we have the flexibility to have a, a, a cheaper uh, structure in that regard. And of course, we have the the 600 million of uh, MERPs that we talked about. Uh, so we've got a five-year, seven-year, and ten-year um, maturity on those, uh, with about a four percent uh, rate. And, and Andrew, uh, you're close to to the investors that buy the MERPs. Can you talk about? Um, from their perspective, how they, how they price them and, and how they look at the maturities? Sure, yeah. Um, 
you know, as I said before, investor demand for for MERPs and um, uh, notes are, are is extremely high. Um, continues to be very strong. Um, insurance companies, pension funds are the predominant investors. Um, there is a perpetual preferred market uh, for taxable funds. That's the the the. Um, uh, oh, it's not on that one. Oh, it should be the. We should be on the next slide, right? Yeah, there we go. Um, um, so the perpetual preferred market right now is, you know, sort of five to five and a half, uh, which is the most expensive. But, but if you think about this chart, it's sort of the longer you go in, in maturity uh, and the deeper subordination you go, the, the, the higher the cost is going to be. So there's investor demand all across the curve and, and all across the products. Um, you know, I would say that um, credit spreads are really what the investors where, you know, that's the impact we can have on a deal is how, how tight we can get credit spreads. Obviously, the reference rate, whether it's LIBOR or Treasuries, uh, is, you know, is something we just have to take um, for what it is. So credit spreads have stayed, I would say, pretty, pretty aggressive. Um, um, naturally, the credit spreads get a little bit wider the longer you go out the curve, but most of the increase in cost is just from the risk-free rate um, and, um, uh, and, and the yield curve. Um, I, I, I will say that, um, you know, the, the rates have gone up. Um, the the, the risk-free rates have gone up. We'll talk about that in a second. And so um, what you find is, uh, I mean, I think Calamos is a great example, is that, you know, rates today are, are quite a bit higher than they were less, less than a year ago. So I think some funds that maybe also took a view on rates, you know, um, ha have benefited from locking in. Um, we'll talk in a second about, you know, where rates headed from here, but um, investors don't seem to be too concerned about rate timing. They're really, they're really just buying product as it comes. And, um, you know, as rates have risen over the last year or two, um, they've continued to have just as much demand for the product, if not more, so spreads have kind of, on, on balance, probably tightened a little bit. And on a related topic, uh, we talked about the, the flat curve already and kind of the, the pricing dynamics between the short-term uh, funding and, and the term funding. Uh, Andrew, can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so the, um, I think the last time I talked to the panel two years ago, you know, LIBOR had been Bounce. This is this is three month LIBOR. So, to to Curtis's point, point the uh, overnight or one month LIBOR is lower than this. But, but three month LIBOR, you know, had been bouncing around um, 25 to 40 basis points for 2013 through 2015, and um, today it's 2.3 percent. So it's a dramatic shift in uh, interest rates, uh, as as all of you guys know. That's that has put is it the title says there. Uh, Wall Street Journal quote, you know, not just the closed-end fund world, but even maybe more so the corporate world. It's put a squeeze on borrowers who have relied sort of exclusively on short-term short borrowing. Um, what's, what's also interesting is the yield curve is flattened. So, you know, we looked at the, the blue line there is the 10-year Treasury yield, and um, the difference between that and LIBOR has, has, uh, has shrunk dramatically. Uh, so now the really the premium to term out um, to term out debt or preferred uh, is much lower 
Um, so que you know, query whether this will be an enticement for some closed-end funds to um, term out, either in the form of issuing preferreds or, or longer-dated notes. Um, because if you think about um, two years ago when we looked at this chart and LIBOR was 25 basis points, the forward curve of LIBOR, two years showed it supposed to go to 1% or one and a quarter. So it's actually gone to two and a quarter. If you look at the forward curve today, looking forward two years, it's supposed to get to 3% from two and a quarter. So will we overshoot that again? Possibly. Um, and will those borrowers who lock in this year for five, seven, or 10 year MERPs be happy they did two years from now? You know, I think that's, 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 that's the bet that, um, that many will make um, in terms of, you know, kind of locking in uh, cost of leverage. Curtis, anything you want to add to that? Well, Andrew covered a lot of the rates, but uh, I know that when we launched it uh, in September, our rates have gone up 100 bips, uh, saving us $6 million. So I think we were uh, very uh, uh, fortunate to uh, get in when we did and uh, lock in some of the rates. Thanks. So um, cover this on the muni side and realize we're running out of time, so maybe we'll go through the next slides uh, fairly quickly. Uh, we did a uh, research piece recently about uh, an ARPS update um, about 10 years following their uh, uh, the ARPS crisis. They froze in uh, early 2008. Brian, you want to cover that uh, really quickly? Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the short story of this now is that, I mean, to date, 2018, we've seen about double the redemptions that we saw in the full year of 2017. Uh, it's getting to the point where the maximum rates have become uh, less competitive against the alternative financing. So the decision in the past where it's maybe been more by activist investors who purchased the ARPs, that's uh, shifting now to a more economic decision where uh, it makes sense for, for both the common and, the, and the, the manager and the preferred to, to switch to a different type of financing. Okay, thanks. Uh, and then we typically just uh, give an update on uh, the, the bank financing um, market, so which, which banks are kind of at the top spots. Uh, and uh, the biggest change to highlight maybe from last year's uh, panel is uh, State Street up uh, about $2 billion. Uh, and that has to do with some of the changes that, um, that Curtis, Curtis was uh, alluding to uh, in terms of how they, uh, they do their financing. And have a couple of slides just talking about the leverage ratios. You can see them for, for the different uh, subsectors. And we have some brief explanations about the various leverage uh, forms. So again, you can see those on the slide. So I'm not going to go through, uh, through all of that. But we thought maybe we'll open it up for, uh, for questions, if there are any. No? OK, then I guess we'll, uh, we'll finish. Thank you. <laughs>